0: This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.
1: You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Hello and welcome to the No Name Ever podcast, I'm Jamie Smith and joining me this week are Kevin, James and Natalie is back showing her face on the podcast despite the fact we won without her being on last week. Um, 2-0 win for Burnley at Turf Moor on Monday night football in front of the Sky Cameras and under the new floodlights at Turf Moor goals from Jeff Hendrick and Michael Keane's a very comfortable home win for Burnley, a second home win of the season and the Clarence are up to 13th in the league table so all is well. James, very, very good performance. I've seen people saying it's the the best we've seen in two, three years. Do you think it was that good?
2: Yeah, it's definitely the best performance we've seen this term. But, I mean, we've had some really good performance in the last two, three years. Um, I think particularly first-star promotion, we we were quite dominant for large periods of the season. But, you know, it was a very good performance. I, I think we're still just lacking a little bit in that sort of finishing touch. There's, you know, a few opportunities that... Really, you'd like to see us take advantage of in the Premier League, and um, you know, on another day where maybe we don't create the same volume of chances, you'd you come to regret not taking them.
0: I'd say it was definitely our, our, our most accomplished uh, Premier League performance. Uh, I don't think, even when it was nil nil, um, I think we were all very confident. Certainly, I was very confident we were going to win the match. Um, I think we were, we were very Watford, uh, obviously, nowhere near. Uh, some of the standards they've shown uh so far this season, but um i don't think you can take credit away from us either I thought we were very professional uh, We played very well, and um I was confident at what 0 uh, nil, nil very confident at nil at what uh, one nil and as soon as the second goal went in um Watford might as well have just packed up and gone home
1: yeah um I think Watford were very poor i think it's it 's always a difficult balance when a team's particularly bad because it's Partly our performance made them play badly, but they were also just bad, I think. Uh, not quite the same as the, the Liverpool game, where we were under quite a bit of pressure, but held them at arm's length. Mm, Watford were yeah. just Watford were just rubbish and didn't really create anything. Um, until the first goal came, though, Burnley dominated the game without creating an awful lot. Do you think that's still a bit of an issue, or do you think it was fine chance creation?
3: Um... I think we have to be mindful of it. You, We've said on many occasions before, and it's, it's very well documented that the number and volume of chances that you're given in the Premier League is a lot less than you get in the Championship. And you have to be much more clinical in front of goal if you're going to convert those chances to goals. We've seen it this season that we have um, retained quite a bit of possession but not really done anything with it. And I think we were better at that last night. I certainly felt we were more positive and we looked more, a little bit more clinical going forward. We certainly looked more positive on the attack. But I think we all certainly towards the end, um, you know, coming up to the goal towards the end of the half, we all said, you know, we have to score, we have to make this count. Um, so many times, at the, most recent example of that that I can give is, is the Swansea game for opening game of the season. We felt like we dominated so much of the possession and we we felt we were the better side. And they didn't create an awful lot, but just sat back, got their first real attempt and scored a goal. And you get punished like that in the Premier League if you're not careful. So I think the message for me last night was much more improved, much more positive, And they are getting to the stage where they are getting the ball and immediately thinking about trying to get it forward for an attack but it is still something that they need to be mindful of and try and make some um, improvements.
1: Yeah, I think the, the mindset and the the aggression was a lot better last night. There was much more positive intent, like you say, whenever we got the ball. Um, a much different game to the Liverpool one as well, when obviously we were soaking up pressure, playing on the break a lot more. Um, Watford were inviting us onto them, and we got a lot of crosses into the box as well. Good crosses in particular from Munson, who I felt had a very good game, um, and I think getting crossing into the box was something that a lot of people wanted to see. Uh, in terms of formation, though, James, we all talked about the four-five-one last week, and we all thought it was going to be back to four-four-two. Patrick Bamford into the team. Dash stuck with the four-five-one, and it looked completely different to how it did at Leicester. Do you think maybe Leicester was a bit of a bit of a practice for this game? Dash was testing it out.
2: Um, potentially, I think you know that. When you change formation, you you don't know how long they've had a chance to, to work on it on the, the training pitch. I think sort of as a midfield unit, we were a lot, lot better last night. And I think that was really key to, to what we did. You know, it wasn't like Volks was isolated the same way Gray is. Gray is looking for balls over the top, whereas Vaux is happy to, to turn and face his midfielders and sort of pick it up, hold it up, flick it on. Um, and I thought a really big point was just how much better George Boyd was in general. Um, I mean, he's still... Didn't really offer enough creative, uh, you know, creativity. But his running was a lot more purposeful, and it actually, looked like, he was achieving something uh, with the pressure he was putting on, rather than just, you know, clocking up the miles.
1: Yeah, the thing I've I've got with Boyd, uh, he he was good last night, and he was good against Liverpool. I think he always, it's one of these who looks better in a good team performance. First of all, I think when the team's struggling, he finds it hard to to impact the game. But I think it was also the sort of match that that suits him where, where that running will force mistakes because the opposition aren't up to that much. But yeah, creatively, there was still not enough for me from Boyd. There were also a couple of moments where defensively, although he did more than enough running, there were a couple of poor defensive headers. Fair enough, it's not exactly his game, but he almost put us in trouble a couple of times. A couple of tackles on the edge of his own box weren't great, but... Overall, certainly a massive improvement for Boyd. Um, The one player who was obviously the difference maker, though, Natalie, took the sponsor's man of the match, was, again, Stephen DeFore, who continues to look just a class above.
3: Doesn't he just? What what a signing. I still keep looking at him and just think, how have we got this guy? Where's he come from? Um, And I think we've been a little critical times about the club's international scouting policy and how some international players haven't really worked for us despite coming um, with a lot of promise and a lot of, of fanfare I certainly don't think that we can make that claim with Defoe he looks like he looks like the kind of player that just comes out of nowhere and suddenly is a real star in the Premier League size. Look at uh, Paya, is it Paya or and I don't know how to pronounce it at West Ham. He sort of came out of nowhere. And it's that kind of player that you unearth some quality in the Premier League and he suddenly grabs the headlines. And I can genuinely see Defoe being one of those players. I don't think I've ever seen a Burnley player with that level of class in a Burnley shirt before. I don't know about you guys, but I I can't, I just can't think of somebody who, who matches that talent.
1: Yeah, it's it's difficult to talk about without getting hyperbolic sort of a handful of games into someone's career, but uh, the home performances we've seen from Defoe, they've just been different class, and the quality of the delivery for the two goals last night, I think that's a big difference from from two years ago. We talked on the podcast either last week or the week before about things that are different, and I think one thing that is different is that we have DeFore's ability on set pieces his crossing ability, his decisiveness, I think he's he's elevated the midfield to to a whole new level and um I think um the injury problems he had earlier in his career have certainly done us a favour because there's no way we'd have got him if he hadn't missed um a whole season through problems earlier in his career when it looked like he was about to sign for, for Manchester United. Um but Kevin, picking individuals like it's almost unfair from, from such a good team performance. You could almost make a case for, for all the team to be man of the match last night.
0: Uh, you could, yeah. I thought um, Loughton has had a bit of stick uh, recently. I thought he
1: was uh, much improved.
0: The, the the two central defenders were excellent. Obviously, Keane Keen managed to get a goal as well. Um, Jamie, you wouldn't forgive me if I didn't mention Ward. Um, um, I thought Goodmanson was very good as well. I think he's, he's been uh, underwhelming at best so far in his the career, um, but I thought he was he was much improved and quite impressive uh, impressive last night. Vaux was a much more effective uh, lone striker than, than Andrew Gray was and probably ever will be. Uh, I'm not really sure why why Gray uh, why Dice decided to play Gray up from by himself uh, in the last match, but it, it, it looks, uh, looks much more natural at that. And um, I think he he then allowed the the rest of the team to come forward. And I think Hendrick uh, was a lot more impressive, uh, being the most advanced um, the advanced midfielder as well. And just the yeah it, it was a real it was a real teal performance. obviously Defoe was uh, was going to grab the headlines because of uh, those fantastic uh, deliveries that, that he he delivered. um but it really was. Well, there was not a, a single poor performance throughout the whole match. even Tom Heaton, who didn't have much to do, uh, produced that that fantastic save uh, early in the second half just before we uh, just before we scored, uh, which was a, a very very important contribution from, from him.
1: yeah, that was a key moment in the match because Watford did start the second half quite well. I think it's probably one that you'd expect him to save, but the fact that we then went down um, the other end and scored pretty much straight away and put the game to bed just indicated how, how important that save was, I think. Um, to come back to the the shape, briefly, Natalie, the 4-5-1, as Kev points out, with Volks as the focal point instead of grey. Um, as I'm sure a lot of people would have expected, worked a lot better. Volks held the ball very well, won a lot of balls in the air. And there seems to be quite a good understanding already with, with Hendrik picking up quite a few knockdowns, Hendrik playing instead of DeFore as the more advanced of the three.
3: Absolutely. I think you, you summarised that pretty much spot on, to be honest. It was, it was one of those where, you know, we've all been quite critical um, of Deitch's inflexibility in the past and we've all been crying out for um something new especially to take away the predictability of our squad and it's too easy for teams especially those with really good um coaching um staff they can just watch not very much of our game and and know how to counteract it very very easily and it makes you very vulnerable to just being wiped out of a game in the premier league um Deitch, fair enough, it was forced on him with the absence of Andre Gray, but he did do it. He, he took a, a leap of faith, changed the formation, and it worked so well. What I think impressed me more than anything out of the formation last night was it looked to me like those players had been playing in those positions with that team for all of their lives, it didn't look new, it looked, they looked composed. They all knew what their role was. Everybody knew where everybody was supposed to be. And it didn't look like it was the first time they played that. And I think that's that was the key for me, I think, to to its success.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Um one of the problems at Leicester was that the five in midfield were quite flat, I think. So you don't really get the benefit of having the extra man in there if they're all just in a line. Whereas Hendrik was very clearly playing in front of DeFore and Marnie and Marnie was very clearly playing behind DeFore they were very staggered throughout the pitch so there was always going to be someone between the lines I think um, Dean Marnie we've not really mentioned but I thought he had a very good game at the back of the midfield a role that I don't think he's been particularly suited to but with the protection from DeFore and Hendrick in front of him he had a very good game and of course chased down the lost cause for the corner that we scored the first goal from as well, so very well played by Dean Marney, who was the one that a lot of people thought was going to miss out if we'd switched to four four two. Um James Patrick Bamford though sat on the bench, unused substitute. A lot of people just assumed he was gonna come into the team for Grey and he must be thinking, If I'm not gonna get a chance now, when am I gonna get a chance? Are you a bit surprised that um, Dash didn't use him at all last night, even when the game was won.
2: Yeah, I was really surprised to see him see him not come on because I thought that, you know, maybe late on when we under a lot of pressure while obviously Volks's aerial ability is really useful for clearing Vox the box.
1: Look, Volks looked to have picked up a knock at one point as well, so I was yeah, surprised to bring him off for a bit of protection.
2: And I mean he's not the, the quickest of lads at the I mean he's not slow, but he's not you know, he's not someone you you expect to really Do a lot of pressing when you're under pressure, and I thought he would have brought Bamford on just for that you know, fresh legs, um, really press the ball carrier, which is you know, obviously what we do with the midfield. Um, Because I think that's you know, other than time wasting as well, that's probably why Kyrie came on you know, fresh legs, someone who can basically just run at whoever's got the ball. Um, So I think it was surprising, but we've not really seen a lot of him, so I don't know whether he's maybe not impressed in training or. You know, there's something else that means he, he's not quite the right fit at the moment. But I mean, I'd be really surprised if we didn't see him at all you know, in his lone spell because, you know, he, he's come with the expectation that he's going to you know, get a look in at least.
0: Um, sorry, I'm just laughing of the, the dog in the background. We're we going to have another repeat of the of the, uh, the podcast when James got chased by a dog. That's hope. That dog is
1: actually really, really far away. Uh, <laughs> I can't even see where it is. I am also quite concerned that Natalie's going to conk out during the podcast because she's evidently not very well.
0: It's, it's, it's Jamie's. going to be the end of the podcast. It's just going to be me, me and me and Jamie.
3: Taking <laughs> us off slowly but surely. It's been nice for all listeners. It's been fun while it lasted.
0: Uh, but going back to the football, I think on Bamford, it's an interesting, tricky one because I've, I've seen a few fans um, saying that he's of, of of other clubs saying that he's not very physically strong, uh, which probably suggests that he's not hugely well suited to be uh, to a four five one, which in turn probably isn't as is one of the reasons he's maybe had not as much of a chance in the Premier League because a lot of Premier League teams tend to set up with that that one uh, top striker, um, and yeah, it, it's. So that's probably a reason why he didn't come on last night. I mean, I, I wonder what he's thinking right now because we know that he's he's not very happy when he's not playing uh, football. He terminated his own loan last season. And this purely from his... I mean, I, I'm, so I'm I'm glad we played the 4-5-1. It worked very well. Pure, pure, purely from a Burnley perspective, I think it was very good. Thinking of what Bamford might be thinking himself, he probably thinking this is... Uh, he's not going to get a better opportunity to come into the team all season. Um, With literally, we, he's playing a team that usually plays four four two. We've got one, uh, two available strikers, and he only plays one of them. Uh, obviously, Dice is a player, but reminds it doesn't change his team. that often, he really, really makes early subs. Um, he maybe um, Bamford's going to be looking at players like his, uh, his Chelsea teammate um, Nathan and Chal- uh, who um, obviously came to Burnley when we didn't have many central midfielders and, and didn't get a game. I'm wondering, is, is that going to happen to me again? Uh, so it will be interesting to see how, how Dash approaches this uh, for the rest of, certainly until January.
1: It is a strange one. I mean, no criticism of, of Dash on this, because he's stuck with a 4 one a lot of people telling him not to, and it worked, so all credit to Dash for that. But I think there is a chance that Bamford gets disillusioned here because, as Kev says, he's a player that threw his toys out of the pram a little bit at Crystal Palace when he wasn't getting games last year. This, everyone assumed, was going to be Bamford's chance. I assumed he was going to play last night. And it it felt like a snub to me for him not even to come on for a talking last 10 minutes, last five minutes when we were under very little pressure. The game was won. We're seeing it out comfortably. Just to stretch his legs, it felt like a snub to me, which suggests it's something... Maybe something be beyond the scenes, behind the scenes, even, beyond the scenes a nothing, behind the scenes that we just don't know about. So that will certainly be one to keep an eye on. I assume we're going to stick with four-five-one certainly against Arsenal now, if not for the rest of Gray's suspension, which um, makes it difficult to see where Bamford's going to get in. Really, we did a poll on Twitter actually just before the game asking. Um, it was which formation we think Dash was going to go with not what we do what Daesh was going to do and 75% said it before be 4 so just shows what everyone on Twitter knows I suppose. Um, talking about Bamford then takes us in nicely to Andre Gray which we obviously have to mention on the podcast because you got a full match ban for the social media posts that we all know about came out after the the Liverpool game um, a lot of fans think four games is a bit extreme some people think He's maybe lucky to have not got more. Very difficult issue, of course. We've done it on the podcast before. But talking purely about the punishment, Natalie, four games, do you think that's very right? Do you think it's harsh? What's what's your view?
3: Um, I have two differing... No, not two differing thoughts, but I have two ways to think about this. I think if we look at this in the context of Andre Gray and what he did and his punishment as an individual, then I feel that four-match ban was fair. I think it was a serious enough offence. I'm still pretty disgusted with uh, the the tweets that he made, to be honest. And Whilst, obviously, he is a Burnley player and he does get my support, it has made me think about him slightly different until such a point that he does prove that he has changed as a person. So I think looking at him as an individual, I think it was an appropriate punishment. I think it had to be harsh because it reflects the severity of his offence. On the flip side of that, the inevitable knock on of a ban for a player. So, obviously, you know, the FA look at it and they've banned the player. They've stopped him from earning his trade. They've put, um, you know, it's obviously a blemish on his professional character and they feel like they're punishing him as an individual. An inevitable knock on of that is that it does affect the club that he plays for. And it does feel particularly harsh because he wasn't a player with us at the time that he made the tweets. So I completely understand some of the Burnley fans um, upset that they feel that actually the club's been punished rather than the player. I don't think that's the case. And I think Kevin, I'm sure we'll come on to in a moment, can put this much more eloquently than I can. And it's a balance between being affected by a punishment and being Punished by a punishment, um, so yes, it's. I accept that it's incredibly frustrating for us as a club that we have also been affected by a ban for an individual because of the actions of him. Uh, but I do think it was fair. One thing I would like to say, actually, and this is the last I'm going to say on this, because I don't particularly want to get embroiled in in social media arguments with people. But I saw quite a lot of campaign on social media before the game that they were going that certain selection of fans were going to to voice their support for Andre during the game and on the seventh minute which obviously Andre's um squad number they there was a small selection of supporters who started chanting in support of Andre but the the words they chose to to chant were he 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 tweets what he wants on the seventh minute and ch- chanting his name I think as fans we need to be very careful here um I certainly don't condone that sort of behaviour. and I did not join in in that chant and I think we have to be very careful here that we don't Dismiss or dilute the seriousness of his offence here, um, making a joke of it and and showing his support um, is is just it's just not an appropriate response to an offence of this nature. And I don't think it looks particularly good on us as fans. I think at the po- point that Andre, whatever action he chooses to do now, the point that he demonstrates that he is a change man and he is genuinely sorry as opposed to just words that say i'm sorry i'm changed when he demonstrates that then we can back him as a player and we can back him back him as one of ours and say you know great we support you because you've shown that you've changed and that you're you know you're a changed person until that point i think we need to be very very careful here as to how we show that support
1: yeah i agree i think that um the chant people probably just thought, "Oh, we'll do something to support Andre," not really thinking about what they'd actually done. But what they've done is said, um, "Yeah, it's fine to say all gay people should burn and die," which I'm sure was not their intention, but that's actually what they did. So, yeah, I don't want to particularly do it. There was also um, Isaac Success, the Watford substitute. They were saying, "You just a bleep aching bay," which. It's funny, but you can't really say a black person looks like another black person just because they're black. That's not really um, a thing you should do. Um, to come back to to Andre Grakev, obviously you've spoken about this in quite a lot of detail. You've done a couple of articles on it, but can you just um, sum up the arguments against uh, why it's, it's not a punishment against Burnley? Because I think that's what uh, a lot of people have fixated on, the fact that it does seem to punish Burnley. More than it punishes Andre gray
0: um, I mean so I, I wrote something uh, this week, which probably some people have seen if not um, I can probably put a link in the show, notes, something that boost my profile um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean some people have said uh, some of the arguments such as you know it was four games is excessive, but actually when you look at some previous uh, previous bans for for things like this or so Coventry defender chris Stokes. Uh, got a one match ban for for tweeting um something which was certainly nowhere near as extreme as Grey's um so that's a one match ban for one offense whereas gray um did was charged on uh six offenses and got uh four matches uh similarly a non league player got a 15 match ban for for nine, nine breaches so um yeah it's in terms of precedent, there's certainly precedent there to say that uh, Gray's even been treated uh, leniently, perhaps. Um, um, I think, like Natalie said, I think there's a very important distinction between Burnley being punished and Burnley being affected. Um, And the the latter hasn't happened. Sorry, the former hasn't happened. The latter has happened. Uh, The punishment is very clearly on Andre Gray, uh, whereas Burnley are, are purely affected by it. And I think it's very important that we don't take Uh, kind of club context into into consideration too much I mean um, I think it's the same as as any offense, if I I do something um, while I'm in one job move to another employer and then it gets reported to the police and I have to do community service or time in jail or something, I have to take time off my current employer, I wasn't at that job at the time but it's my current employees are affected by it. I think it's a similar-ish, similar situation. Um, you could also say some people say that the club's done nothing wrong, um, completely wrong to have them affected. But at the end of the day, Burnley should have been aware of uh, of these tweets. Uh, and that's not to say that we should have done anything differently. It's not to say that we wouldn't have signed him. But it's just to say that we should have been aware that there was a risk that at some point in the future a skeleton could come out and it could affect them in some way. And that would... Um, that's essentially the club's responsibility and if they weren't aware of that then that's, that the onus is on them essentially um, so yeah I, I think there were a few arguments against the against the ban but I've I not been convinced in any way by, by any of them at all to be honest
1: Yeah I think um, one of the things I'd like to, I don't want to go on about this world because we are going to do um, a special podcast about Andre Gray's tweets and homophobia in football generally that will be out in a couple of weeks or so. We've got very interviews put in. But one of the things people have said is that the club should have done due diligence, which sounds like this fantastic catch-all, easy fix, but raises more questions than answers for me, James. If they do due diligence and say... Say they find these tweets before they sign Andre Gray. Do they then still sign him? Do they punish him? I, I don't understand where the due diligence would, would have fitted in had they found these tweets. What would the club what should the club have then done?
2: That's a very really good point actually. I, I hadn't thought about that previously, but you know, if they find something like that and they say, Well, we only we sign you if you delete it. They covering it up? Should they? I think so. A lot of
1: people thought it, or a lot of people have suggested that deletion is basically like it's fine if if they've gone, it doesn't cover it up. Gray should surely still be punished for something he's done. The fact that the tweets have gone doesn't mean that he didn't do it.
2: Yeah, I I hadn't really thought about that approach previously, but no, I think it, you know. You can't sweep that kind of thing under the rug. So, if you did find it, is it you know uh, morally right, ethically right to to just delete it and you know never bring it up? Probably not. Um, but it's a difficult one because I know some people say oh, it's easier just to search keywords and get them up. But you know, obviously, one of the tweets he found from when he was at Brentford. Um, how many of us would have picked that out as you know a key term to search? Yeah, I mean. <sighs> You know, it's one of those things you, you could put in like hundreds of words and still something could slip through because, you know, it could be context based. You might not even use an offensive term, you might just, you know, combine the sentence as offensive. Um, it's really difficult. I mean, I think what I said to someone the other day was maybe the best way is just as soon as you sign up, where you say you have to, you know, clear every tweet you've got on your account and start again because, uh, you know, we're not going to go through and look at it. But at the same time, we, we don't want to be punished if. You know, past indiscretions on, on your Twitter are found. So it's time for a clean
0: slate. I think there are two points here. One, I think I think due diligence doesn't have to be actively searching for for things. I think particularly for for tweets like this, Andrew Gray must have known that, that he had tweeted some things in the past that could have been seen as uh, as controversial uh, and could potentially prove problems. Not I'm not saying that he's aware of specific things he's tweeted, but he he's very clearly acknowledged that he's a very different person back then surely he knew that he was on Twitter at the time and there was potentially things on there that, that could have been could have been controversial. All it takes is the club to have that conversation with him when he comes in, ask him, is there something there that we need to look at? Maybe, and if he says yes, maybe then you, you do something to look at it. But if he says no, I'm 100% sure there's nothing there. Yeah, I, I think there's no argument for, for searching through a the tweet then, but I, I'm sure Gray must have known there was potentially, potentially something there that could be objectionable. And I think the second thing is, if, if then we do go and find the tweets, I'm not saying it's, we should do something differently. I think, yeah, we probably should should delete them, but purely so, so that they don't come up and then cause the problems, um, problems this has. But I don't think it's about covering it up, or I don't think it's about not signing him or anything like that. I think it's purely just our responsibility. I think it comes down to the ban. I've said that we can't complain about the ban because we should have known about it and taken that into consideration when we signed him. We, we should have signed him with the knowledge that there was potentially... Um, something going to come up in the future that could cause problems so I don't think it's necessarily about doing anything different I think it's purely a, a counter counter to the argument that it's nothing to do with us that we should have been aware of it and should have been aware that there was potentially a, a problem that could happen down the line
1: I think mean, that pretty much um, wraps that one up as I say we will go into this um, in more detail speak to various people about LGBT issues in football on a future podcast so do Look out for that, just to wrap this little bit of the podcast up, Natalie, in terms of the actual football, a lot of people were concerned that Gray was going to be a big miss, even though he's not touched the ball recently because the service has been very poor,
3: but the win over
1: Watford indicates that we might just do okay without him.
3: Yeah, I think we'll be fine. Um, I know Andre's is a really key player for us. And uh, prior to the signings we made um, in this transfer window, he was our record signing. You know, that comes with responsibility. And it does also reflect the talent of that particular individual. So I think it's naive to say that we won't miss him at all when he's gone because he can, he can flip in and out, flip in and out of games Um but actually, you know, when he's got the right service, he can be incredibly dangerous as a player, and he can create chances out of nothing. Um, what I think last night just reinforced to me is that we aren't a one-man team, and actually, that team spirit and that work ethic that that squad has had as and had and has had for a good few years now is still there, it hasn't been diluted by the presence of a star striker and it hasn't been overridden by um, some potential um, inflexibility of tactics. That you know, Those lads will play for each other, they will do what they are told to do and they will work for the good of the team and I think that was really positive to see. Yeah,
1: I think there's also a chance that um, the band works in our favour a little bit. The players will be determined to 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 show that we can cope without Andre but also to do it for him because he's not able to be out there with them also Dash I think has spoken out and basically said he doesn't agree with the ban so it's possibly a lot of clubs seem to smaller clubs thrive when things are going against them a lot of fans are talked about it, almost it being a conspiracy against Burnley but sometimes that can work if you build this sort of idea up that everyone's against us everyone wants us to fail it Increases a bit of determination and motivation, so interesting to see if that has an impact as well. But I'm sure on the flip side everyone wants Andre Grey back playing for Burnley as soon as possible, so um, hopefully we'll get through the next few games okay and he'll be back in the team. We'll preview Arsenal at the end of the podcast, but if Natalie's voice is up to it, <laughs> it'll crack on with Tweet of the Week next. Tweet of the week,
0: tweet of the week, tweet of
1: the
2: week, tweet of the week.
1: Tweet of
3: the Week, Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week. Indeed, do not fret. Nothing will keep me away from Tweet she's of the Week. She's back,
1: she's back. I'm back, back.
3: <laughs> yay. Um, this week's Tweet of the Week is just a nice little, simple, positive summary of last night's game. Um, it's by Phil Hitch. He summarises like, pretty much what we all thought and tweeted about after the game last night. And he says, Great performance all round. Which it was, before class again, which he was, and just how bright are those new floodlights? <laughs> so I really liked that tweet because uh, it summarised what we all thought. So well done, and thank you for that.
1: I'm glad everyone's had a chance to experience the floodlights because we talked about the floodlights in some detail when they were unveiled. Um, James, we're far very,
0: too much detail.
1: Too, someone say far too much detail. I don't think there was enough. They, detail they did warrant that detail. Though. <laughs> they were pretty spectacular. James, very impressive these these floodlights. I know you you, you like the engineering on show. They're incredibly bright.
2: I, I think we're going to have to revisit that that design <laughs> document the way we covered previously because, there will
1: also be a special you know, we've now got evidence, the to, uh,
2: uh, evidence to put to the numbers. So I think, you know, we could delve a bit deeper, but oh, it was like, uh, it was just so uniform. It was incredible, wasn't it? It was just like, It made bathed the turf in look really different light.
3: as well. Did you not think? I mean, Is it's like still... in a model, like a model yeah, village. It did. it <laughs> like Turf's always been absolutely outstanding under the floodlights anyway, but last night it just went up another level. I loved it.
2: The really impressive thing was thing. How, how little leakage there was. It was only the pitch that was lit. It wasn't like the back of the Bob Ward or anything. Really impressive. Impressive work.
1: I think a lot of people will be hoping that, obviously, we play Sunday afternoon, you know, 4 o'clock kick-off, something, half 4 evening, so hopefully it's a nice dark day. Get the floodlights on. Maybe stick some sort of big top over the turf so that it's nice and dark and we can have the floodlights on. We always seem to be better under the lights. I don't know if the, the stats back that up or not.
3: I'd be quite interested to see that, actually, if somebody's got any stats. I'm sure somebody somewhere must have the, done that. There, because... there was
1: one time, I think... Um, when Dash first came in and we had a really bad run at home i think there were a few defeats midweek but before that we definitely had a very strong record at home midweek evenings when the lights were on I, I don't know if it's the case now because we did have a few bad results when Dash first came in but it always feels a bit more special when the lights are on so delay the kick off against arsenal i reckon kick off about half six <laughs> just after sunset that'd, that'd be perfect for me um Moving on to the Arsenal game then. Arsenal in pretty good form. have obviously got Champions League game this week. Um, but since they lost to Liverpool on the opening day, they have been very impressive, extremely impressive against Chelsea. Um, but we've already shown that we can compete with good teams. Liverpool have been outstanding since we beat them. So Burnley at home, surely we can be positive about this one, Kevin. We've got a chance against anyone on our own turf.
0: Uh, yes, yeah, so obviously the Liverpool game showed that on our day at the turf in front of our home fans, we can be uh, a match for anybody. We can uh, really up our game. Um, obviously, we've had um, we had a, a very good victory against Arsenal quite a few years ago. Now, if it was a uh, Kevin McDonald double um, in the cup at Turf Moor, that was a, a fantastic game. And and yeah, particularly uh, like you said, I think if if a team are fired up, it'd be interesting to see what Sean Dice does in terms of shape and tactics. Um, and, but yeah, obviously you, you, you're never going to say that we're we're favourites. You're never going to say we're we're going to be expecting to get anything out of it. Um, but I'd I'd say there's certainly a, a good chance of us getting a getting a at least a point.
1: Before the Leicester game, James, we talked about their Champions League game being a benefit for us. That didn't really work out um, this way. But some teams do struggle on the back of a Champions League game. Arsenal are at home to Basel, I think, on Wednesday. I think so. They've not got a long trip, but two games in a week always means there could be some rotation. It won't necessarily be their strongest team we see on Sunday.
2: Yeah, potentially. So I'd be surprised if Fenger sees another Premier League team and someone to, to rest players against. But it's going to be a tough game because obviously Arsenal are in early season Arsenal form, which means they'll look like a title challenger until about March. Uh, so really we would like to home a game against them probably later in the season when you've got a better chance to win, but see first time round uh, we're in the Premier League, we were really lucky to, to not beat them, and uh, you know we, we, we should have done uh, if that Stephen Fletcher goal hadn't been wrong just judged offside, but uh, I just feel like we step up a bit more for the big sides at home, so you know, I think there's every chance we can create an upset.
1: James is right there, isn't he, now the last couple of times we've been in the Premier League, we do seem to play... Better against the the perceived stronger team, so surely that's something that, that stands in our favor for this one.
3: Yeah, I, I really do think so. Um, and actually, out of out of all of the, the the stronger teams in the division, Arsenal's probably one that you want in that situation. It's probably one that we stand more of a chance with. Um, as James quite rightly pointed out, you know Arsenal are currently in their perceived world-beating form that they are in the beginning of the season. But they're also one of the most frustratingly inconsistent teams in the league. And they've just come out of the back of a fantastic result against Chelsea. Quite Probably an unexpected result against Chelsea as well. They're likely to have had some um, Champions League success as well. It would be so very Arsenal to come to Burnley on Sunday... And get turned over. So I'm actually genuinely feeling very positive about Sunday. I think we've we've got a good record against Arsenal at turf. We don't. It's one. They're one of the big sides that we don't seem to look intimidated against, and seem to actually play quite well against. So I'm, I'm feeling relatively positive.
0: So I was going to say, I think coming in after a good win good win's an interesting point because obviously that's what Watford did as well. Um, and potentially, you know, we could uh, catch them uh, unaware as we perhaps did Watford.
3: Yeah, that's. although true. it didn't really work against Leicester after their Champions League result did it and that no, kind of went against true. us so. I think,
1: um, the other thing about Arsenal is that they do they're very patient but I think we'll sit quite deep almost like we'll approach it like we did the Liverpool game obviously we got the early goal against mm-hmm. Liverpool which meant that we could sit deep and defend and soak up the pressure but if, if we'll want to sit tight and soak up as much Arsenal pressure as we can and stay in the game as long as possible and the longer we do that I think they could become a bit frustrated um, we'll round off with predictions as and James's battery is about to die so we'd better go to him first James give us a prediction for Burnley Arsenal at the turf on Sunday please
2: I'm, I'm going to say we're going to nick it 2-1 um, uh, both goals from
1: Sam Sandbox nice um, I'm quite positive actually I think we might get a point I'm not confident enough to predict a win, but then I only thought we were going to draw against Watford and we won that game, so shows what I know. Um, Kevin obviously, you give us a prediction
0: um, I, I think I feel the same as you Jamie, I, mean, I think, uh, I, I feel there's certainly reason to be positive for this one, um, although I'm not going to be as bold as to say we're going to beat uh, one of the big teams like that although it certainly wouldn't write it off, but I'm going to go for a, a 1-0 draw and obviously Stephen Defoe is going to be involved in the goal somehow
1: yeah, just just the one goal of the five we've scored this season that Defoe hasn't been involved with, which was the opener against Liverpool. So yeah, very um, very big impact from Stephen Defoe. Lastly, then Natalie, I'm guessing the reverse psychology
3: back ah. with your return to the podcast. Did it? you miss it last week when no, I was not really? Well, I've got
1: that. to say that I, I, I've got one hundred percent record with the uh, with
0: the uh, um, <laughs> reverse psychology now. That's so. very true. I also want to point well. out
1: that Natalie
3: wasn't on the podcast last week and then we won. Coincidence? And as well, on top of this, I, I had a real panic last night getting to the ground. I've had the same turnstile since the 2009 promotion season and I will I will not deviate from it because I'm really superstitious which
2: didn't do much um, use the two times we got rogue at, though did it no
3: once? okay I'm, I'm glossing over that bit james she, it's she's not superstitious. It's like, oh, she, she's
1: superstitious she doesn't say works
3: yeah no, <laughs> um, but i know god i arrived at turf last night and there was a massive steward stood like a bouncer right i was down my turnstile and i was trying to get in and went you can't come in here i was like what and it was broken all the all the computers were down and i was literally pleading with this steward so we had to go to the next turnstile and we won so if if reverse psychology fails, I think we might have a backup plan with the new turnstile, but I digress. Not I I do have a it oh. well,
1: listen, we're gonna. Do you
3: have...
2: not find it a do you it's... not find it a big detour for away games?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that was the perfect reaction and I just a... A sigh. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, it was just two
0: seconds of silence, which was just is just my shot. battery not died
1: yet, God. God, James. <laughs> oh, um, it,
0: it will go forever on 1%, that's the thing. It just like,
2: rapidly goes to 1% and then
1: stays there for an hour.
3: And, and how pleased we are at that. He's playing Russian roulette with his
1: it. battery, I'm hoping he's going to cut off mid sentence.
3: Ah, me too um, No, I have, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maintain the consistency and see if it works I've got a bad feeling about Sunday I think Arsenal will be buoyed by a Chelsea win and a Champions League win and they're going to turn us <laughs> over and we're going to lose
1: 4-0 brilliant always end the podcast on a nice positive note um, obviously this week's podcast is a bit late because we played on Monday night but hopefully we'll have the podcast out Monday Tuesday as normal next week Um Brief thank yous as ever to Natalie, James, Kevin for joining me to the podcast. Thanks to Rick for providing the artwork that we use on social media and on the website. You can always get in touch with any feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, whatever you want to get in touch with, please do. The email address is podcast at nonanever.net. You can also tweet us at net. We are still seeking a sponsor. You can get in touch through the same channels if you want to find out more. About sponsoring the podcast, which helps us to continue. But that's it for this week. I've been Jamie Smith. Goodbye.
0: Uh, we do, yeah. Obviously, we showed against Liverpool, but uh, but particularly with the crowd behind us and at home, uh, we can we can be a match for anybody. Um, obviously. Uh, oh, sorry. Sorry, I just fell off my chair. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me start that again. Brilliant.
1: So we've had a dog and Kev fell off his chair and Natalie's almost died. Very successful podcast.
2: It's very northern. Just imagine, it's not great, which is unusual. You're on the coast. But but well, just imagine, so. like,
1: very, very lashing
2: very wind, uh, flooded roads from the earlier deluge.
1: <laughs>
0: very northern, very bleak.
3: He's so dramatic,
1: Birdie. God. He's like a Bronte sister, the way he summed up though. <laughs> like, <completely>, you know. <laughs> promise, when you live on a peninsula, you know what I mean. <laughs> when you live on a peninsula.
3: <laughs> oh, God. Away
1: days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
3: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.